We are geek-centric, and you can be too. My name is Kev, and I want to welcome you to the Geek-Centric Podcast. Today, we discuss the future of movie distribution, take a brief look at the 2021 Oscar nominations, and then we're going to risk taking some serious flack for some hot takes about over- and underrated movies. But first, if you're joining us for the first time, this is a weekly show covering the world of film, television, gaming, toys and collectibles, and all things Geek-Centric. Joining me as always, first... He's never mad and never lies, but we all know he always cries. It's Nate. <laughs> That's great. I, you're you're absolutely right. I'm never mad. I never lie, and I do always cry. If he That's lies, he's right so now. wonderful and endearing. If he lies, he's just really bad at it. You could really tell yes, that he's that, lying. That's, yeah. There's part of that. There yeah, we absolutely. go. Um, and also, if he's seen a peanut, he'll need a cleanse. But he's an absolute stud when behind the lens. It's J-Law. Oh, I got a face for radio kind of thing going there. <laughs> oh, no, I didn't even yeah. mean that. <laughs> Dr. Seuss Kevin over here. Like, yeah. you should start writing kids books, dude. That's great. No way. Mine would get banned so quickly. <laughs> it's true. That's true. Uh, how we doing, guys? Good, good. Good. Yeah, uh, well, there were, there were no again. new Disney Plus shows this week, so uh, kind of means we were able to take a week off of Watch Club. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. So, did that give anyone a chance to check out anything new or exciting? Uh, let's jump right into Watcha, Nate. What you been up to? I mean, listen, a lot of a lot of gaming uh, on the on the old Twitch. There, uh, got a chance to stream on a Saturday night, which normally we're recording our our Watch Clubs on Saturday nights. So that was kind of fun, and uh, I got to check out. Um, I got first of all, I beat Cyber Shadow, so I actually beat probably one of the most difficult games that I've ever played in my life there we go that's, um <laughs> it's pretty impressive but uh i also played a game that i think honestly you guys would really really love so it's a side-scrolling shooter uh very contra like except you can't aim up or down you it's only aiming forward or back and then you have, you can jump and stuff um but it's like the most 80s thing that i've ever experienced in my entire life like it's the graphics are the sort of the like sort of 16 bit 32 bit style um and it's called hunt down it's on switch you have to check it out it's called hunt down my cousin uh shout out to uh, gi joe yo joe on twitch for for showing me that uh is uh you kind of he's like you got to play this so listen really really good time right there i also uh got a chance to watch a movie uh that might come up a little bit later um oh. you know given given one of the, the things that we're gonna be talking about later wow. you know yeah. Um, oh. But uh, but I got a chance to watch Sound of Metal, um, nice. which is starring Riz Ahmed. And, dude, this movie was so good. Like, so good. I, there might be a bit of bias just because I connected with the movie so much more from a standpoint of a love of music um, and also just a love of, of people. And the the audio in this movie, it's like another character in the movie. Like, it's like another aspect to the movie that you notice both before and after, you know, I, I don't think it's a spoiler to say uh, the main character loses his hearing, right? Which is in the trailer, but 
uh, like Mike Hogan, who we've had on the program before, yeah. uh, and might even br- be, bring in to talk about the Oscars, um, mm. has recommended this movie to me ten times probably. He's like, yeah. Kev, of all the movies I loved this year that you haven't seen, this one you, you'll probably really actually like. And so I don't know why I keep putting it off, but now that the nominations have come out and everything, it's it's on the list for sure. It's really, really, really well done. So many little intentional things. And uh, the fact that it's the director's first movie, like first directorial debut, and he's up for Best Picture, like, that's huge. So I, I can't wait for more from him. And yeah, definitely check out Sound of Metal. It's incredible. Awesome. Uh, I'm definitely taking that recommendation. But uh, Justin, how about yourself? What you been up to? You, you pointed out uh, no Watch Club, uh, no WandaVision, but there was a behind-the-scenes WandaVision experience, which was fantastic. I got to check yeah. that out. Um, it really did take you through the whole behind-the-scenes and, and really highlighted uh, the efforts that went into the first episode, and as well as all the other episodes, and, and just the sort of master, like the sort of masterclass that it was for uh, building sets and having flexible sets and you know, doing all sorts of stuff to really hit home this this idea of uh, uh, different eras of, of sitcoms. So it, it was it was really well done. Um, you know, everyone had the same sort of comment as you know they were interviewing these cast members. It's it's so crazy to see how the Marvel Cinematic Universe has evolved so much to a point now where we're taking a hero and, and embedding them in a world that emulates a sitcom. That's just it feels so meta, uh, and and also just giving more focus on these characters. So uh, it was really great if you haven't checked it out 100% check it out it looks like it's going to be an ongoing series Uh, I feel like they'll probably issue an episode once uh, you know uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier's done Um, that's on the schedule it's basically on the schedule for everything they do this year including movies whether they'll be on Disney Plus or not yeah yes Uh, but I appreciate the fact that to your point Kevin if they're going to be doing more with the movies in the TV series uh, you know behind the scenes that it it, it lives as as its own like series but I again it was it was great I, I would definitely check it out uh, I actually think I'm watching it as soon as we wrap here this evening. Uh, mm. So I'm now even more excited to check it out. It sounds yeah, awesome. Yeah, you'll yeah. enjoy it. You'll enjoy it. Um, the only other thing I've been watching uh, amidst working and stuff like that is 24. I'm at season five yeah, of 24. You're back on it. Yeah, I, I'm go. like fully into it. Like I'm, I am enjoying the journey of Jack Bauer. And it's really interesting because of if you think of the times some of the seasons came out and how they really pull from either the news or uh, even just like political and and uh, political conspiracy theories uh, to mm-hmm. like infuse it in their own story that they were telling. It's crazy how 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 uh, intense they go and and hats off to Kiefer Sutherland, man. He 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 knows how to to bring it. I mean, Justin, you're making me want to watch it because I've never <laughs> I've never watched it, so I've heard. I've heard really good things, but I, I, I also just like, it was like, I just missed it. But yeah, dude, I'm, uh, I, I actually kind of want to watch it now. It sounds like you're having a really good time. Like I've always considered it. I missed it for very, a lot of the same reasons as you, as you, yeah. Nate. Um, but like how many seasons are there, Jeff? There's nine seasons plus uh, like a, a, a short, a like, <clears throat> like a short, like movie season-esque sort of thing. It's, it's, like, it's that's, interesting. That's a lot. It's 200 hours plus. That's what's really daunting for me. Anytime <laughs> you like face down a project like that, it's yeah. like, oh. I think, though, that the hook of the show is that every hour ends with with a hook to get you into the next hour, right? Like, it, yeah. it's not like you you end and it's like, oh, that story's completed. Well, the next episode will be a new story, kind of like a conventional sort of thing. It is one huge story that's being told. So there, I think that that hook will, will definitely keep you intrigued and wanting to watch more. All right. Cool. Cool. Kev, what have you been up to, man? What have you been um, watching? 
All right, well, it's, it, I've actually had a crazy week as I look at my list, so I'm going to keep this as succinct and short for all of these as possible. We started up and, and caught up to date on season two of For All Mankind. Um, I can't believe they're still going in even deeper into these characters. I thought, where could they take them next? And I'm just, I'm still engaged, so that one's good. Continuing on with Snowpiercer. I think it might be getting better. What? Not not good. Not good. But maybe yeah. a bit better. Like I, I the the last episode ended, and I was like, oh no 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 no, let's go. I need more. So okay. And that's like the first time I've really been like, well, I want to see what happens next. It feels like it's building almost to what could be the conclusion of this story they're telling, and I think it would okay. be better off. I don't see how they can stretch this out another whole season, honestly. So all right. So it's on its way. It's it. The train is on its way off the tracks. It, well, there we go. There we go. There we go. I've been rewatching Seinfeld, and that's that's a thing that just happens every once in a while. But it's so bloody yeah, relevant right now that yeah. Funko finally got the rights after ten years of trying to get them. They finally oh got the rights, God. and we're getting our first line of Seinfeld pops. How Uh-oh. many are there? They're like there's like there's like 30? 16, 16 oh, yeah. in the first line, I think. And I'm just like, we're gonna get every single iteration of these characters that ever happened. I feel like there's there's just a there's a there's a lot of them. I'm so happy though that they've they've decided to like finally you know I I don't know what the holdup was. I heard it was Jerry that was the one that they couldn't sign off. He wasn't he wasn't ready he's to give up. He's always the most likeness. difficult. Yeah. He's yeah. always the most difficult when be, it comes to that. I don't want to be a pop. I don't yeah. want to be a pop. Yeah, yeah. that's perfect. <laughs> Dude, literally just before recording this episode, I was watching Seinfeld and I was yeah. I watched the uh the Bubble Boy episode. So like I could almost see like a moments, you know how they do like the pop moments and then it would be like George like and there'd just be two arms like <laughs> off his neck coming out, right? And then like you could like face it so it's against the wall, so it looks like they're coming I, out of the. I think. I think. Oh no! Ball. I'm sorry. Okay, okay. That's the moops. Yeah. Right? It's Mars, you idiot. <laughs> there are yeah, yeah. so many. This could be a oh. hundred pops deep. No I'm letting problem. you guys collect them all because I'm, I'm. I want. I want the four of them. And then I maybe want like one or one or two others, but that's about Only it. Only like, if the office is nearing its completion. Now that they've right. hit all of the fourteen main office characters, there's yeah. not many left to do. So I, I could almost retire on that one and move <laughs> on. Yeah. Wow. Sarah will be thrilled. <laughs> <laughs> Just really one more, I swear, and then we're we're done here. Uh I so I rewatched uh with, it, this feels weird to say the original uh Justice League. In preparation for our review next week of the nice. Redo Reboot, uh, which will have come out on HBO Max by the time this episode is live. But I will tell you, my notes are extensive. I'm literally going to be able to compare it. I just I made a note of what every scene was in order so that I could really <laughs> see the differences. Like, I'm looking forward now yeah. to seeing how different of well, a movie, because the or reviews coming out are saying it's quite different, at least. Oh, they're saying it's yeah. it's entirely different. And, you know, speaking of a movie being released uh, to a streaming service, I think we should jump into the news. It's all about the details. Uh, So this was actually a fairly relevant week when it comes down to the future of how movies will be released uh, and distributed as far as it relates to cinematic releases versus streaming services. So our first story comes from Alex Dudok DeWitt. It's a cool name. At uh, cartoonbrew.com, there's a new chapter in the great rewriting of film distribution rules. Ryan the Last Dragon, the latest feature from Walt Disney Animation Studios, has come out simultaneously in theaters and for a $30 premium fee on Disney+. This is Disney's first such release, and the initial results are a little underwhelming. 
Raya debuted at the top of the still tiny domestic box office, taking an estimated 8.6 million from 2045 theaters, which was around 39% less than Tom and Jerry last week, which took home 14.1 million, even though Disney's release was far better reviewed than Warner Brothers' hybrid cat and mouse reboot. What's more, Tom and Jerry launched day and date on HBO Max for free. Of course, it had world-famous characters on its side while Raya is an original story. Disney has not reported data on the film's digital sales, nor did it do so with Mulan, which it released on Disney+, and not in theaters, for the same premium fee in September. In the pandemic, other studios have at times trumpeted stats that su- suggest successful digital premieres uh, you know, of their bigger titles, but uh, anyways, Raya didn't stun overseas either. It took $17.6 million from 32 markets for a $26.2 million worldwide uh, total. Uh, and even in its biggest foreign market, China, where Disney Plus doesn't even exist, it opened with 8.4, coming third behind two local movies. The film topped a number of markets in Southeast Asia, where the story is set, uh, and it came uh, second in Vietnam. That so, makes sense. Yeah, 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 yeah that, that made sense that it, it would do well. It wouldn't do well in China. It was going to do better in the other parts of Southeast Asia than China, only because it it feels more representative of those cultures versus Chinese culture. Well, yeah, I th- I'm pretty sure based on the I'm doing the math now. Avatar might have done better in China over the weekend when it was yeah, re-released so that it could pass yes. uh, the, the the box office record there. For so that's Indian, interesting. Yeah. That people would rather see a movie they've probably already seen twice in theaters uh, than a new title. Um, But so what do we think of these early numbers for Raya theatrically? uh, And how do we think this will affect Disney's distribution strategy going forward? I mean, it's weird that they didn't introduce the or they didn't talk about the the digital sales numbers. Because you think you think that would be something relatively high that they'd want to they'd want to tout. Right. Like, what if it isn't? Oh, maybe that's you why know, they did What if it isn't? <laughs> oh, no. Well, and I, and I wonder if the numbers on the streaming services are good, but they're also realizing people almost will prefer to do this because it's only $30 versus, I like, I think they're making far less from these digital sales, obviously, than yeah. they would if a family of four or more went to the theaters. You know what I mean? For sure. Or they're playing political. And they're not showing the numbers and how good they are because they don't want to distress the theater industry anymore. So I'm wondering if actually maybe the the, the strategy of share, not sharing digital uh, purchase numbers is, is, is more in line to just not distress the theater industry because of the fact they still have connections with the theater industry. You know, that's actually really interesting you bring that up because speaking of Disney distribution strategies, there might actually be some good news out there for theaters Um, With this next story, which comes from Ryan Scott at MovieWeb.com, don't expect Marvel Cinematic Universe movies to debut on Disney Plus anytime soon, so long as Kevin Feige has his say. Uh, Given that Feige, who is the head of not just Marvel Studios, but Marvel in general, is one of the most prolific producers in Hollywood history, it stands to reason that Disney will give him more than a little say in the matter, and Feige remains committed to the theatrical experience. When asked recently in an interview about his devotion to preserving theatrical releases, Foggy made it clear that the experience of seeing these movies in a theater is a huge part of what has made them successful. Here's what he said. It's impossible not to be excited when you go to opening night to 23 movies in packed movie houses and seeing the moviegoers' reaction. That's what drives us creatively as we make all of these, certainly culminating in Avengers Endgame and Far From Home. There's nothing better than that, and we don't want to lose it. 
I'm hoping we don't have to. If there's nowhere else to put those movies, that's another conversation. But I've been encouraged by the theaters holding on. Also, what's happening overseas in countries where the pandemic is more under control? Guess what? It's human nature to want to get together and have an experience. That's continuing in a very big way in countries where they are able to. Um, and so, while last year has been brutal for movie theaters, with many of them around the world shutting down for months on end, and as a result, uh, you know, the box office has yet to truly recover, but as Feige points out, countries like China have seen a massive resurgence. My question to you is, do you think that as things improve, ticket sales will get back to normal, uh, or at least closer to normal, and will they have, uh, will they get to a spot respectable enough that a studio can still justify releasing a movie like Black Widow in theaters? A hundred percent. I think so. I, I honestly think that while this has changed the, the course of options that, that can be offered to consumers about how they enjoy their content, whether it be at home or in a theater experience, Feige's entirely right. They built MCU off of the experience of going to the theater and these movies living yeah. in the theater and us as friends going first showing to see these movies and and having that sort of that that fun of of being the first to see it that night so it's it's not that that that's not going i can't wait to go see a movie i can't wait to go see any movie not just a marvel movie but any movie in theater with with a group of people so it i don't think that this is necessarily hurting the industry it just means that there's going to be more options for us as consumers as to what movies and i'm okay with disney making the selection to say why don't we try to see if we can offer these movies on disney plus right and if you do the math you know 30 dollars and you're a family of four and you're at home it's not over like overly expensive more than what you would spend i don't know it just means more options really yeah exactly right like more options for them to to, to strategize around more more ways for them to say you know what you're gonna pay for this stuff no matter where we put it they could be showing it on yeah, the side exactly. of a tin can i'd still pay 30 bucks to watch it like you know opening <laughs> night which that would be a weird experience but like there's a reason hbo one of our favorite one of my favorite television you know content uh, providers is called home box office right like they know like to the point where i remember going to the theater to to watch episodes of Game of Thrones, like in season finales of Game of Thrones with my friends, like that, it, it's it's an experience that that will absolutely pay for. And yeah, just like any other kind of escapism, uh, much like traveling, I I can't wait to get back to it. See, uh, I agree. I can't wait to get to the theaters. That would never stop for me. But I also think you know we're the type of people who do see twelve to twenty movies in theaters a year. Uh, right. You know, we we just love the experience so much and w like to see a lot of movies. But for those people who maybe go to see four or five big movies a year, um, you know, or ones they really want to see, but, you know, wouldn't otherwise, now there's even less of a, a, a reason to go see a, a romantic comedy in the theaters. And so I do think you, you might see, now that there is an option to spend a little less and stay home and just relax, versus going to the theater for a Judd Apatow or a, a Seth Rogen comedy or something, I think those numbers might see a bit of a hit. And, it, and we might see more of those kind of movies and properties lean more on streaming, right? And again, it's all about that strategy. So they have the ability to say, okay, this is not a theater movie. This is a, a streaming movie, right? And it's going to become it's going to become maybe less of a 
of a of a, there's going to be less of a differentiator, but I think they're going to be able to use that as a way to say, you know, they they will know what's going to make big big bucks, right? Like a Star Wars, a Marvel, you know, these kind of things. Whereas like their their smaller properties, they can they can save for Disney Plus, and it's it'll be just fine. Yeah. Uh, well, I think the one thing we're talking about here is that we saw a lot less movies in theaters uh, over the last year. And that means that uh, with the most recent announcement of the 2021 Oscar nominations, I've probably seen fewer movies on this list than ever before, just because I didn't have a chance to go see them and, and the hype behind them leading up to the awards season. Yeah. Um, so it certainly made for an interesting reveal, much like the Golden Globes. It was like, what's that? Or I mean, I'd heard of, about a, a few more of them because of the Golden Globes, but yeah. you know, still haven't... Uh, had a chance to take a look at them. But, uh, you know, the Golden Globes did take uh, a bit of flack for the lack of diversity in their overall nominations, whereas the Oscars seem to have embraced diversity in film a little bit more uh, from many different perspectives, and they're getting some praise for it. Uh, So this includes the fact that three black men, uh, Leslie Odom Jr., uh, Daniel Kaluuya, and Lakeith Stanfield were all nominated in the Best Supporting Actor category. Uh, so that's the first time in history that that's ever happened. Uh, mm-hmm. Stephen Yun made Oscar history as the first ever Asian American nominated for lead actor. And two women, Emerald Fennell and Chloe Zhao, were nominated in the directing category in the same year for the first time ever. Uh, in fact, 70 women received a total of 76 nominations, according to the Academy, which is a record for any given year. Uh, so how fantastic was it to see this kind of celebration of diversity this year? Yeah, we we were talking in our Golden Globes episode just about just how I mean the whole showing was was incredibly messy, but just you know how how much that was a, a through point for the entire experience of just them them talking about it and and making sure that they they made aware that they are going to change. But it is nice to see the Oscars, you know, learning from their mistakes. I hope I hope they learn from the mistakes. Uh, also of of just how to actually do the, the show as well. Like I hope <laughs> I hope we see a, a better better showing from them as well with the with the budget they have. But I wonder, do you think like I'm not sure when they actually do their vote, like the the Academy. But mm-hmm. I wonder if they watched that show and saw what the theme of the night was and how it was brought up so much that it was. Did that? Do you think that swayed any you know choices? I think that that's. I think it's decided beforehand which movies would be nominated right because screeners go out pretty early in at the beginning of the year to kind of get the ball rolling and i think this is the narrowing based on the selections i i think i i'm not sure but it could have i i do think though that you know the ironic thing is because we talked about this in the golden globes episode you know while there was a lack of diversity in the nominations i don't think that was necessarily the case for who won Right. You know, we did see, you know, a first Chinese filmmaker win for best director and, and best picture, uh, which I think is great. Yeah. Like you see the the outline for for um, all of these awards and you see that there's a great range of diversity. The irony would be if that in all the categories, you know, white males won. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> right. Even right. somehow in best supporting actress. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, like, but- honestly, if if Mank wins best picture, I'll be really upset. Oh, so will I. I've actually seen it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. We're going to save our big, uh, you know, sort of Oscar nomination discussion for our prediction episode, which is going to air before the big award show. Uh, I mm-hmm. thought we should quickly look at the best picture category. Uh, there were eight nominees for best picture this year. 
The Father, Judas and the Black Messiah, Mank, Minari, Nomadland, Promising Young Woman, Sound of Metal, and The Trial of the Chicago Seven. There were three films nominated here that were not nominated at the Globes for Best Motion Picture Drama. That would be Judas and the Black Messiah, Minari, and The Sound of Metal. While none of the five nominations for Best Motion Picture Musical or Comedy at the Globes made the Oscar cut. Um, So with that said, does this suggest that the musical or comedy category lacks some credibility? Or does it instead suggest that the awards... Uh, weren't varied, or the Oscars rather, weren't varied enough in the type of pictures they considered for this year's big award. I think that's it. With this list that we have, like, honestly, I mean, again, aside from maybe Mank, like, you know, I've I've seen Minari, I've seen Sound of Metal now, I've seen Trial of Chicago 7, like, I want to, I really, really do want to watch these other movies, and I've just heard phenomenal things about about all of them, again, besides Mank, but <laughs> I'm I'm very... I'm very excited and intrigued, and I, I just can't wait to to watch all these and and to see if they if I if I agree with uh, with the critics on this one. Yeah, I I don't know. I, I feel like when you look at this list and knowing in and around what each of the movies is about um, in these films, like it, there is a great like your best picture is like your this is 2021 Oscars diversity. I will say though, like all of these movies do. They are they are Oscar movies. Like you know when you go see a movie and you're like, oh, oh, this is an Oscar movie. Not even just based off its quality, just based off of like thematically what the movie is. You can tell is. from it's, the trailer, yeah. Yeah, it's usually like <laughs> it's like pretty slow. At least one person's crying in the trailer. Like there's you know there's people yelling. Like it's, there's there's these there's some of these tropes that start to fall into these movies. But but I I do I do love the fact that again the diversity of this list is is so wonderful, and it really makes me more excited for this list more than, I think, any other Oscars we've had before. Well, we will just have to wait and see. I believe the Oscars are April 29th this year. They're end of April, so we've got uh, some time to catch up on that. I might try and watch one of the six best pictures I haven't seen each week leading up to it, Mm. um, which would be a lot of fun. And I'm wondering if any of those are going to be maybe a little overrated, uh, you know, Um, And it'll be interesting to see. But speaking of that, I think we should move to the topic of the show. Okay, so uh, let me paint you a picture here. It's a lazy Sunday afternoon a couple weeks ago. I'm on the couch looking for something to watch. I wasn't in the mood to watch any of these movies that have been recommended to me. And so I end up flipping through the channels and I stumble upon a movie I'd already watched more than a half dozen times, probably a lot more than that. Uh, It doesn't matter how many times I've seen it. I will always put it on if I see it just sort of flipping through. And it doesn't even matter where in the movie it is. I can just jump in and totally get engaged. And I truly do think this movie may be one of the most underrated movies that I really put up on a high pedestal. Now, I'm not going to reveal what that is just yet. I'm going to save that for a little later. But it did get me thinking about the topic of underrated, and for that matter, overrated movies. And that's one of the most interesting things about movies. Uh, the feelings and opinions they elicit in people and how people respond to them is just so different. And that's what makes them amazing. Yeah. Um, and, be- and before we, we get started, I want to clarify, there is no wrong opinion about a movie uh, or anything in entertainment for that matter, a TV show, a song, a band. Uh, you like what you like, and that's what, all that's important. But sometimes a large group of people will, will respond to something, either positively or negatively, and it just does not register that way for you. 
Uh, furthermore, your opinion on something can change over time. Something you once held in very high, re high regard might stink to high heaven upon a later viewing. So in a lighthearted and fun manner, uh, I thought we should take a look at this side of the entertainment world through some movies. All right. Let's do it. Uh, we're going to start with a movie that you think has just simply been overrated. A movie that received praise from perhaps both audiences and critics that just didn't click for you. A movie that smashed at the box office but felt like a waste of money. A movie that raked up during award season but which you feel deserved nothing but Razzies. <laughs> uh, so, Nate, I'm going to throw it to you. What is a movie that you just think is so overrated it's mind-boggling? Yeah, let's let's well, see the nice guy be mean. Yeah. Yeah, what, what a way to start this. Flipping it, flipping it on its head. If you want to hear him be mean, I guess you could listen to our Raya and the Last Dragon. Okay, I was not <laughs> mean. 3.5. It's good. It's not great. Anyways, <laughs> speaking of a movie that's not great, in fact, it's overrated. In 2019, uh, I went to go see a movie. And this movie broke my streak of at least 23 years of not falling asleep in a theater. Uh, so <laughs> I hadn't fallen asleep in a theater since I was a little kid. And this movie, this movie made me fall asleep. Um, with an 83% tomato meter, that's fresh for those who are wondering, uh, released in 2019 and directed by James Gray, starring Brad Pitt, Tommy Lee Jones, Ruth Nega, and Liv Tyler. Uh, this is Brad Ast. I mean, Ast. Brad. I mean, Ad Astra. Uh, <laughs> Brad <this movie>. Ass. <laughs> that might have helped. First of all, I mean, right? If they if they had to call it Brad's ass. ass, ass no, but if he showed some, if he showed some, you know, tush. some of his ass. Yeah, absolutely. No, honestly, it, this movie. Like I feel like Brad Pitt owes me two hours of my life back because this was <laughs> this was boring. It was slow paced, and like it was definitely they were trying to go for Oscars on this one. But honestly, like it, it was just like I couldn't even tell you what it was about. You know what I mean? Like it, it had something to do with Brad Pitt's character and his daddy issues. And again, as a as a huge fan of Lost, I'm no stranger to daddy issue narratives. But this one was flat. <laughs> it was pretentious. I could not bear it. Um, and I fell asleep. I fell asleep. So, Justin, I remember coming out of the theater and telling you, like, I totally fell asleep. Like, I called you right after. I'm like, don't, <laughs> don't go see Ad Astra. Don't waste your money. Literally watch any other movie with Brad Pitt in it and leave this one in space alone where it deserves to be because this movie was garbage. Wow. Horribly overrated. Hmm. Well, I've never wanted to see it and want to see it even <laughs> less right now. So, there you go. You know, I thought this category, this category is fun because it's either going to offend somebody or just yep. help them out. Just there you it, go. help them make it's a very decision. Helpful. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just how about you? What is a incredibly overrated movie? I want to talk to you about a movie from 2009. Um, a movie that is deemed as like all time blockbuster it was actually in the news recently as it regained oh, no. its title for most watched movie and that is avatar i friggin hate this movie like i i like i i honestly like from a technical standpoint it's it's sure 3d was amazing yeah. but everything else about it is absolute trash it is so overrated the plot has been done time and time again fern gully Pocahontas. And although the movie had a few good names attached to it, like Sigourney Weaver, uh, it, it didn't quite live up to the exceptional film standards. Uh, it's a shock that there are multiple sequels planned, considering the original story <laughs> was nothing to write home about. It came with two draws, obviously, it, it being 
you know, demanded to be seen in, in, in 3D. Also, James Cameron's name was attached to it. It was the first movie he did since like 1997. It was like, what was he working on? Well, this is what he was working on. Um, it really hasn't left any footprint in pop culture other than it's... $2.7 billion, which I think is now no longer. It's it's a lot larger now. Uh, and it's up to about 2.9 now. Yeah, $2.9 billion in the box office success. And and, and even though Disney has has its rides, which, which I will give credit for, the ride experience is a lot of fun. It, it, there's just so much about it that feels kind of also superficial and very racist, <laughs> like the white savior complex. Uh, oh, you know, it's coming oh, in it's Pocahontas for, all know, over again. Yeah, saving yeah. the people of color, right? Um but yeah, I, I just think that this movie from from the standpoint of of it's, you know, like I appreciate when good technology is merged with good storytelling. This was quite the opposite. This was crappy storytelling and crappy story merged with really cool technology that, quite frankly, people have already taken and done way better with storytelling. Right. Like, you yeah. know, you know what I mean? In terms of like the experience of actually leveraging that sort of 3D experience and people are only going to go further. And that's all this movie really did was just to say, here's a new techno technological advancement that filmmaking is now going to reach a new bar that you will reach. So I don't know. I think this movie is incredibly overrated. And I just I don't understand anyone's appeal. Listen, I hope I hope that Disney is steering away from that. Like you can kind of tell in the in the theme park how how focused it is on the Navi and maybe a little bit less on the the humans and and like the them invading and things like that. So I'm hoping with with number two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and then twelve that they do maybe fix that and they do focus just solely on the Navi. I think. And I don't listen, don't get upset with me when I say this about because Raya and the Last Dragon. But but I think much like Raya and the Last Dragon, I think this movie did such a good job, though, of setting up a world like the did world it? of Pandora. Honestly, a dude. OK, well, maybe I'm just excited about it because I'm telling you, man, I thought I think the I feel the, like the, the character design, I think job. the world design. Sure. I, the but, ride but that's, but, is a way better. But the job ride brings you of into the world. world. Yes, Sure. But that's the world that I want to see in the next few movies. And, and and I think this movie still did that a little bit. So from a standpoint of like, why did people want to go see it? It's probably more for the visuals and the world that they built. Because I remember reading the little hand guide, the book that talks about the flora and the fauna of this world that the movie didn't even touch. Right. And again, it's a very similar so you situation. You wanted them to talk more about leaves and flowers that glow in the dark. I don't, sure, I don't want that sure. to be the direction of these. Give me movies. a documentary set in this world. I'll take that Disney plus. Uh, I will say I still think it's the best 3D I've ever seen in theaters. Like, felt like those things were coming out of the screen and you were moving almost through these 3D environments. And so I got to give it praise for the, the technical side, like you said, Just. But even just looking at, you know, um, uh, the movies that it was against in Best Picture, um, you know, and fortunately it didn't. Thank take God. The, the award uh much like titanic did uh you know about a decade earlier but, but see, like just yeah. some of these movies are i'm just i'm glad they at least didn't decide that based on box office alone and you bring up a great example of james Cam james cameron's work which is titanic arguably I, if, I might say one of his best movies if not his best because it it grounds such a historic tragical moment with the human 
side of it, like the experience of what that went through. And he used his technology and used the ability of research and understanding to tell that story so well. So to me, that is an excellent example of the work that James Cameron can do when he's fusing, you know, engineering new ways right. of, te- of filmmaking with storytelling. But to me, mm. this was just heavy handed new way to tell stories, not so much about the, the actual story. Right. So the technology really was the forefront. Um, but yeah, I, I honestly think this movie is, is heavily overrated and, you know, I am going to probably go see the other movies just to crap on them as much as I can. We'll, we'll wait and see. I mean, listen, if, if Arnold Schwarzenegger is stoked for it, then I think we're, we're going to be excited too. <laughs> uh, but Kevin, uh, what is your overrated? All right. Um, now, I think this is going to be a pretty unpopular p- opinion with kids Uh-oh. of the 80s and early 90s. Um, That's me. But this family adventure film uh, is usually, which is usually a genre I'm obsessed with, um, is just an absolute stinker for me and always has been. Uh, now, to be fair, I didn't see this movie for the first time until I was in my later teens, but I will not let that be the determining factor for why I didn't connect with it. There are a lot of movies from this time period that I didn't see until much later, and they held up. So I'm not letting the fact that I didn't see this movie that I was supposed to see as a child not register with me. Um, the movie I'm talking about is a bunch about a bunch of adventurous kids who need to stop a property developer from taking over the land where they live. Fortunately, they find a f- treasure map, face a series of dangerous obstacles before saving the day. Of course, I'm referring to the Goonies. <laughs> or the Boonies, as I would call them. Oh, no. <laughs> I've honestly just never understood where this obsession in pop culture has come from with these movies. Like, I think you see more Goonies t-shirts than just about any other classic 80s, 90s movie when you're at conventions and just at the mall and stuff. Like, people love this movie, and I cannot understand why. Yeah, I, I mean, it definitely seems like it might have been more of a... Like, I've not seen it, but it might have been more of like a cult classic, I think, maybe, than than even critically received. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't think it took time for audiences, especially kids, to, like, you know, I hear people and they're like, I've seen it 27 times, and they can quote the movie, even though it's like, other than Hey You Guys, which every character says 47 times each, (laughs) it's the only memorable line of dialogue. Like, it's just, you know, the bad guys are bumbling idiots, not menacing. Uh, the, The kids are loud, screamy, whiny, and obnoxious, and, like, mean to each other. They're mm. not like this fun team of kids who are like, you know, scared but adventurous together. They're all just like scream. They all just scream the whole time. It's like they, you know, took from Temple of Doom with uh, uh, what's her face and just uh, just scream a lot. Right. It's almost like they I guess. Would you say that they mashed up like Temple of Doom and E.T. maybe? Sure. And that's the movie we got. Sure. Yeah, and then added kinda. meanness. All these kids bully each other. <laughs> oh, no. Like, like poor Chunk. I don't like yeah. when they pick on the fat kid. That's yeah, me. Yeah. You know, and his character true. alone, he's so one dimensional. He just likes to eat. Like, yeah, give me a little <laughs> substance behind these characters, you know? D- yeah. D- Data likes to invent, and that's, you know, like, uh, Sean Austin's character, Mikey, has asthma. There we go. We've defined the character. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I never found the adventure all that engaging. Um, like, especially because it's so dark the whole time. Like, you're in these dark caves and can't really see anything, and the sound editing isn't good enough to justify that. It's cheap filmmaking, like cheap it like just, tricks. Yeah. yeah, it stunk. It just stunk. Right. You know, I, I watched so many of these kid adventure movies growing up, and this this is, like, bottom of the barrel for me. 
All right. Um, but it's one thing when others overrate a movie. How about when we do it ourselves? Sometimes we watch a movie and think it's just fantastic. Uh, most often these are movies from, say, our childhoods uh, that, you know, have simply enamored us. However, when rewatching a movie that you loved years later, you're, just, you're devastated to discover that they just have not held up. Uh, maybe sometimes special effects hinder a movie's lasting quality. Sometimes it's simply that they've become dated due to being too encapsulated in the time that they were made. Um, but yeah, let's jump right in and take a look at some movies we used to think were great, but really aren't anymore. Justin, why don't we start with you? Yeah, I think uh, the last point that you said there, that's kind of the lens I look at uh, the most. Like, yeah, you know, you watch some movies. I, I, I always find I can suspend my disbelief and remind myself this is a show or a movie from this period of time, hence why the comedies like this or certain sort of styles of, of action or, or graphics. Uh, but I think the biggest thing is is actually, like you said, like being so encapsulated with the time that it's it's more hindering on how much I've grown. Uh, so I've grown to see things differently and I've now have suddenly learned, you know, through watching these, these movies that, you know, uh, the perception of, of race or cultures or, or things are very biased and very, uh, negative, if you will. Uh, so the movies that, uh, I'm, I'm specifically speaking about are actually, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark and Temple of Doom. Uh, both just mm. having Temple of Doom more so with its portrayal of, of Indians, uh, you know, the eating of the brains, how they were so yeah, made dude. to be so menacingly evil. Um, I also think that, you know, the crux of the movie being a Asian kid um, who represents quite a variety of Asian stereotypes from his accent, his, his dialogue. Uh, to just his cultural, uh, la- I guess what you would say is lack of Western no- culture, uh, because he is obviously East Asian. Um, you know, it just it's just so apparent that these are used as tropes uh, to create comedy while also creating villainy. Um, so and, and a sense of fear. Uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark I thought was interesting just because um, clearly Marion and Indy there's there's like a ten year gap and they had previously been dating so in the movie she's in her 20s but then they had dated previously and i think it was like 10 or 12 years before which means she would have been like 10 or 12 and he was in his 20s when he was dating so but anyways these are these are just examples this is i i picked these two because we we had actually talked about indiana jones as as nate had had watched them uh so Mm -hmm. i thought just be being fresh in everyone's mind um maybe maybe that might be one that was relevant but you know it's just it's things that obviously now as the times have changed they're not necessarily going to uh age well over this period of time yeah, you see, you see it, and it's clearly played for a Western audience, right? Like you, like you've got fortune, like like oh, it feels like I'm stepping on fortune cookies, Doctor Jones, and it's like, oh. yeah, fortune cookies aren't even Chinese. Like that's well, that's an American yeah. made thing. You got to feel bad for K. Hugh Kwan because yeah. um, he's his he's been mentioned in the last two movies. Uh, yeah. So he obviously played Short Round in um, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, and then played right. Data in the Goonies. In Goonies um, yeah. You know, and very much that very stereotypical character. And he was Mm. a huge child star and, like, beloved around the world. But you do look at it, and it's a dated character characterization and also how how he was appreciated right like what representation of you know it's like now that's why actors are making that choice do they want to play the black you know gangster do they want to play the 
Arab terrorist? Do they want to play, you know, the the headstrong Chinese? The Chinese da- who, data analyst. Yeah, 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 right. Like, so it's this perception piece, right? Uh, but that that was actually a surprising one. I thought I, I you know, uh, I, I I was hoping you'd say something maybe like Bad Boys Two or something. But um, <laughs> uh, uh, Nate, how about yourself? What's a movie that you used to adore but now don't think holds up? Well, listen, I I actually I tried to. I tried to do this. So what I did instead was instead of a movie, I chose a video game. Okay, uh, and so cool. just as something a little bit different. Um, so I went with a game. So, you know, you know, some games stick in your memory for how amazing they were and still are today. Right. Like, I mean, there's some there, there's a reason that some people are, are still playing the original Mario, the original Tetris, the original Pac-Man. You know, I'm playing the original Mario every Sunday on my Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash Nate Plays Games. little plug for you there. But growing up, you know, my favorite games were games that I could gather a lot of people around my TV and have a great time with, right? Like the party games, your Smash Brothers uh, or, or, you know, your Mario Party. And so, you know, Mario Party was an amazing game for, for that purpose. So when Microsoft introduced the original Xbox on November 15th, 2001, they also released a launch title for it called Fusion Frenzy. Wasn't that Fusion Frenzy? Yes, yes, that was the one. And it was it was Microsoft's answer to Mario Party when it launched. And I remember having insanely great competitive nights playing on an, an oversized, massive Xbox controller. Those controllers were so big. Um, and I just remember like the high-octane, amped-up Mario Party clone that it was. Well, the year is 2021, and I recently had the opportunity to revisit Fusion Frenzy, complete with three other players, and the nostalgia that filled my brain quickly drained from my entire body as soon as we got <laughs> as soon as we got to the third mini game in our play session. Um, the, dude, this game absolutely does not hold up, and not even just visually. Like, I would call it the Taco Bell of party games because I remember you know three of the games very fondly, and then forty other games are just mixes and mashes of all the other you know it's like collect the orbs okay and then in this game you're going to collect the orbs but you're in a boat now in this game you're going to collect the orbs and you have to deliver it to this place and this time you're in a big steel ball that you roll around in to do the same thing yeah (laughs) right and it's it's literally the same thing over and over and over again and it's just it's terribly it's terribly designed like the maps are terribly designed the levels are terribly designed the characters are just like really poorly done and cheesy and not cheesy in a good way. Like how we remember how good cheesy things could be. Um, the, um, the most unfortunate part is, you know, where I can say like a bad movie, like, you know, 2001's a space odyssey created the foundation upon what, you know, great movies like interstellar are built upon. You can't say the same thing about fusion frenzy because there's so many games that did it right before and after. <laughs> that's that's you're like breaking my heart. Cause I I'm haven't so played sorry. this game in, probably over 10 years or yeah. you know close to and my brothers and I must have played this thing for a hundred hours <laughs> right, how but- did we spend so many nights playing such a boring just repetitive game I think it falls under the category of games that you played simply because you didn't have any other games to play and right and then Blockbuster was closed so you couldn't go out and rent a, a game or you maybe you didn't maybe you just were the kind of family that you bought one game and you just stuck with it it could have been the fact that maybe you just you know bought the Xbox so like you don't have money for games anymore so you're gonna play this one it, honestly though it if you haven't played it in a while just keep your fond memories of it and leave it right there leave it in your memories because it is horrible it's just so bad it's so bad 
Yeah. But Fusion Frenzy just sizzled out and just leave it there. Don't so, don't go back to so it. So it's not Fusion Frenzy, it's Fusion Frenzy. Uh, yeah, yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Oh, it's so sad. <laughs> um, all right, well, uh, now for my choice, this would probably be said about most of the movies starring the actor that stars in this film. Um, and while I used to really enjoy the sort of dim-witted vulgarity of his jokes... They just come off as so bush league and immature and just plain dumb seeing them now all of these years later. Um, You know, now some of his movies try to give at least a certain depth of heart to the titular character, but that is absolutely non-existent in this one particular movie. The movie I'm referring to is Billy Madison. Really? I loved Adam Sandler growing up through the 90s. And I thought Billy Madison was the funniest movie ever made for like a whole summer when it came out. Yeah. But when it came on a couple of years ago, I figured, ah, I'm going to check it out. I haven't seen this in, you know, decades. I almost instantly regretted it. Within five minutes of hearing that agonizing baby voice delivery, I wanted to invent a time machine just so I could go back in time and kick my own ass. (laughs) Uh, you know, I think Adam Sandler is kind of talented, at least as an actor, right? He's put some pretty good performances into movies like Punch Drunk Love, Uncut Gems, uh, The Merowitz Stories, uh, which I'm sure nobody's seen, but it's a great little Netflix flick. Um, the only good one of his on Netflix, I, I'm sure. Uh, and then even in the more tr- uh, traditional comedy roles he's known for, uh, there have been some movies that were at least fun and enjoyable and kind of hold up to lower standards that you would have had for them then. The Wedding Singer and Fifty First Dates are nice romantic comedies. Happy yeah. Gilmore and Longest Yard are perfectly suitable sports flicks. Uh, even Big Daddy is sweet enough at times to get a pass from me. And I thought Hotel Transylvania was one of the more enjoyable non-Disney or Pixar uh, you know, animated yeah. films yeah. of like the last decade. I really enjoyed that one. I uh, had a lot of fun. Um and, like, I've watched all of the movies I just mentioned at least once since seeing them for the first time. And, again, they hold up for the most part. But Billy Madison was so obnoxiously bad that, like, it made me angry. It made me, like, physically angry just how annoying <laughs> really? it was. And I could not understand how I ever just, like, I, and I know too many lines from that movie that will forever be embedded in my brain taking away space to more valuable information. That, yeah, it's, it's just, oh. It's oh, no. it's it's like it's so bad it makes some of the Netflix Sandler movies almost look okay. Yeah, and that's wow. saying something. I like Sandler when he's not doing a stupid voice. voice. Like I yeah. like him on the screen until he's talking with a stupid, unrealistic, yeah. dumb voice. Like Hubie yeah. Halloween. Oh my god! <laughs> I was gonna say, don't watch Hubie Halloween. Oh, if that's the case. hated it. Hated yeah. it. But like, I'm looking. I'm looking at the Rotten Tomatoes, and literally. All of the movies, without clicking into all of his movies, all of them are the critics are much lower and the the fan rating is much higher. Right? Oh, big time, big time, and and like I'm, until you get to the the top of the list, yeah. In terms of the ratings, like your uncut gems and your and like, sure. then he's getting some really good critical reviews. Yeah, <laughs> let's move on before I have like an aneurysm here. Um, so finally. Sometimes we watch a movie and can't understand why everyone who sees it doesn't just instantly agree it's awesome. Uh, it's not that we necessarily think they're the greatest movie ever made. I mean, maybe we do, but it's more that we feel they never quite received the reception they deserved. Perhaps people didn't support the movie at the box office, or perhaps they were just overlooked during award season. And that's where my choice for the most underrated movie of my lifetime comes in. Uh, the movie I mentioned at the top of the show that I would see on, and I'm just I'm gonna watch it every time I see it on TV. Um, and again, 
it, it, it's not like it was poorly reviewed at all. People like it, but I don't understand why they don't love it. Uh, the movie was le- released in 2000 and features a recently engaged FedEx employee with a sore tooth that is suddenly isolated on a remote island with seemingly no chance of escape or survival. That is, until he completely transforms himself to become the ultimate survivalist, albeit with a bit of a kooky insanity thrown in. The movie I'm talking about, of course, is Castaway, and features not only one of Tom Hanks' best performances, but what I truly believe is one of the greatest single performances in cinematic history. Wow. Uh, And now, Hanks won the Golden Globe, but that was it. He won the Golden Mm. Globe for his performance, but that was it. The only other um, award the film... uh, got a nomination for was um, for sound. And that was it. No cinematography, Mm. no directing, like to pull off what they did in this movie, I thought was just incredible. I even think it it should have gotten some recognition for, um, for screenplay to be able to write this engaging character with no dialogue that keeps you transfixed on his every action and his every move. And you feel all of these things around him. Uh, you know, it didn't get a Best Picture nomination at either the Globes or the Academy Awards. Um, and again, the fact that Tom Hanks lost out to Russell Crowe for Gladiator, which was a good movie and a fine performance, but could belong on my most overrated list, in my opinion. Um, you know, uh, you know, and even just a 73 on Metacritic, a 70.8 IMDb fan score. Uh, you know, I just think it's so low. Uh, and I think one of the things this film does best is its pacing. It is like the most realistically paced movie ever. You start in the just mundane everyday life of this guy. And then that plane crash hits. And it's like one of the most harrowing experiences I've ever had in a movie theater. Is he's plummeting to his certain death. And then the time on the island and his transformation over time. And the fact that there's no music that whole time they're on the island. And there's no dialogue, not even through narration. Like... I just think it's a stunning achievement in film. And again, I'm, I know a, a, most people like it, but I'm surprised how many people don't just love this movie. Well, I, I'm, I'm with you. I think it's arguably one of his best performances. It is a fantastic story. Tom should have beaten out Russell Crowe. He, he wasn't nominated for Best Director, and it wasn't nominated for Best Picture. So it's crazy that in 2001, the plethora of films that uh, superseded this in, for, for Castaway to go uh, under the radar, uh, so to speak, to only be nominated for actor and sound for what they achieved. Like, I agree with you. I think it's like it's no kinda... cinematography, the filming of that island, the beautiful <laughs> island becomes a character in this movie. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. It is kind of heartbreaking how how few people do really revere this movie. I I love I honestly love this movie. I, I actually really, really loved it. And it's funny. I loved it probably before I should have loved it because like. I saw it, you know, it came out in 2000 and I think I saw it shortly thereafter and I just, I, I made my parents like rewatch it with me and they're like, do we have to? Like, like we have uh, to like sit through this. You would have almost thought it was a bit slow for a kid. For a kid. You know? But yeah. I do, I think honestly, part of it could have just been Tom Hanks, honestly, because he's so, he's so good in this. He's so captivating. He's so like, you just you can't stop watching him, which obviously you can't because he's the only thing on screen for, you know, him <laughs> between him and Wilson. But um, and like, I remember wanting, I remember wanting a Wilson ball so bad. Like, I was like, D- why isn't this a thing that people make? And I'm like, why can't I buy it? And I still never got one, you know? 
Well, and like even even Wilson, I think a lot of people maybe found him a bit silly because I know yeah. it was parodied a lot and stuff. I think it was an absolutely brilliant way to bring another character yes. into that movie so he could explain to the audience what was going on through something without just standard narration or, you know, talking you to see, himself. You see the inspiration of a character like, like obviously the book was written long before this, but like in the movie, like Smeagol and Gollum, like having them, their characters play off of each other. Like it's cool to see that you can, you can still have this one guy on the screen, but still have, you know, the inner workings of his mind as a separate character. It's just... Well, you so see well it be- done. It's you see it becomes a strategy for him to maintain his sanity, right? And also right. the interjection yes. of the interjection of of the Wilson ball is kind of to to Kevin's point to break the silence, to break break that mm-hmm. natural silence of the island and you know him and his frustration and the digging and the all those sort of things those those ambient noises and suddenly now we have this introduction of this uh personality if you will that he can now interact with and create sort of, you know, you know, balance his mind, right? So, and I think just on like maybe one last final note here, I think a lot, some of the, you know, not negativity, but you know, some of the the naysayers will sort of focus on the last sort of chunk of the film when he gets back to the real world as maybe being a bit slow. Or, but I think it was so important to show that transformation for him to have to come back into this real world and all of a sudden after wanting it more than anything for four years for it to not Dis- yeah. feel right and to almost like not accept him back He's displaced. in. displaced, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it was just yeah. such a great jarring character move, tonal pacing move. Like it just, the whole movie f- makes it so realistic based on those differences in, in tone and everything. so I'm going to watch that movie like, again now, Kevin. <laughs> yeah, I want to watch yeah. it right now. Uh, yeah, yeah, let's watch it. Oh, that's good. All right. It. So it's, it's working. Yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> now, I, I, what about you, yeah, you guys? Who wants to jump in? I'll go. Um, I think I think these two movies, I, I picked two, uh, and I'm not going to give you too much background on them um, other than what it is, what year, and, and uh, who's in it. But these are both movies through the same sort of like lens of, of thinking about recognition that I feel like were kind of snubbed in the awards from the years that they they that they were you know they came out that they they could have won some awards and and actually uh you know been recognized uh the first one was actually uh starring uh brad pitt uh scoot mcnary uh ben mendelson richard jenkinson uh james gandolfini ray liotta and sam shepherd great cast great cast uh it's called uh, killing them softly it's directed by andrew dominic um it's like a it's a gangster movie with a, a dose of a kind of a dark comedy. It has a very unusual tone. It's not your traditional gangster movie, so um, which is what I think kind of hindered on it. Um, it, it it's 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 a very very overt commentary on on capitalism. Um, it, it's it's very difficult to describe too, which is why I'm not going to get too ingrained in like trying to outline it but it's not a fast-paced gangster movie that's the first thing like a goodfellas right like goodfellas is very fast-paced right another overrated movie in my opinion uh hot take um but it's a slower quieter um and there's flashes of gunplay like the action feels very uh less of an emphasis versus something like goodfellas where the action and the the guns and, and everything is just like it's it's the driving force um 
And also it has some of the best closing lines uh, in the end, uh, at the end of the film. Uh, so you'll, you'll just, if you guys check it out, it's, it's something to, to appreciate. It's only 93 minutes, right? So that's the other thing. The runtime isn't extensively long, so it, it's, it's fairly enjoyable. I, I know I saw it and I almost feel bad because I do remember very little of it. Um, but I do remember that was like a standout performance from Ben Mendelsohn for me. That was kind of the first time I ever was like, who's this guy? He was great as that, like a very small character, but you're right. It was far less of that flashy shoot 'em up gangster movie. And it was far more like a character piece about the, the, what this darkness does to these people. I was a fan of no country for old men. So it kind of has that same sort of vibe in terms of like that action and so on. So absolutely. I'm a little bit worried though, Justin, cause you know, it's got, you said it's got Brad Pitt in it, right? And it's, it's got a very fresh critic score, but a very rotten audience score. So that's, you know, are we looking at another ass ad, extra? Maybe you <laughs> might fall asleep. It, it's very possible. Yeah. I, I do think don't watch it too late. The second. Yeah. The second movie though, I think you might enjoy actually, Nate, uh, this one right. was released in 2013, uh, stars Ben Stiller, Kristen Wiig, Sean Penn. Catherine Hahn. This is The Secret Life of Walter Mitty. Um, I love this movie, oh, man. Oh, really? I've never seen it. Yeah, a man living in a dull life dreams up uh, romantic and action-filled scenarios in order to escape the uh, monotony of life. Uh, when his new job is threatened, he sets out on a real romantic action-packed journey. Uh, this movie, it's directed by Ben Stiller. Um, it is whimsical. It's a feel-good dramedy about a daydreaming middle-aged man who wants more out of life. It has very tender moments, has really great cinematography, and although uh, many critics have deared it as being overly sentimental and unrealistic. So I think that's part of the reason why. That's one of the biggest criticisms of it. Maybe it is, but it works. Even if Walter's journey is entirely implausible, the movie is a nice escape from reality, uh, with which just feels like a feature-length daydream. So it's it's really nice. Yeah, it's 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 a lovely movie. Like it's one of those movies that you you come away from and you're like, that, that was just so lovely. And and like I think the fact that it's like like Justin, I I think you probably really dug the photography aspect to it because I know there's yeah, the story, definitely yeah, the a photography. lot of you know yeah. it kind of leads there towards the photographer and Adam Scott. I thought did such a good job oh, at just being yeah. an asshole <laughs> so much. And yeah, he's from Parks and, and Rec, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He he just did such a like a good job at being someone you want to hate and and the whole movie like it's just it's very it's very relatable and I think I think the fact that it, for any critic that said that the movie was too unbelievable it's like that's the point that's the whole freaking well, point of the I movie appreciated about it like yeah. it used cinema the 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 trope of cinema to create these daydream escapic sort of stories that just that that fit really well and they felt cinematic and they felt and like you know kudos to ben stiller for really challenging himself and pushing himself to like really create something that was very immersive um you know versus cable guy you know <laughs> so you know what i mean like um right, yeah i just mean like you know there he he kind of leaned into wanting to do a different type of storytelling which i think is you know i can i can appreciate like i'm, I'm almost bummed now that i've never seen it and i think i remember not going to see it because as much as i thought it looked really cool the reviews weren't outstanding and so i was like ah then i can miss this one but 
like I hate when a movie isn't appreciated simply because it's not the the most thought provoking or the deepest or the the it, nothing. It doesn't have to be the best for it to be enjoyable in this and i love nothing more than a nice easy feel good movie so i'm yeah. checking it out i'm checking yeah, it watch out. the trailer i i feel like the thing that sold me was the captivating trailer that i watched in theaters and i was just like what is this like it just looked incredible so and i remember the trailer not giving too much away no which, it was all visuals you know, it was all that visuals great trailer. Yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah it was all visuals cut to some really great music and you know it just it kind of created a mood more than a, a a sort of like a depiction of the narrative so it, it was great so yeah definitely check it out those are my two underrated movies i know you only awesome. asked for one but i give you two quickies nate why don't you close us off here bud what is a movie you think is just criminally underrated all right i'll try to talk about this movie and i'll try to talk about it fast huh uh <laughs> i'm going to talk about the my underrated movie which is uh directed by the wachowski sisters uh, released in the year 2008, uh, and uh, it stars uh, some really wonderful people. Uh, you've got Emile Hirsch, uh, you got Susan Sarandon, John Goodman, Christina Ricci, um, and and so it's got Hiro, Hiroyuki Sonata, who is going to be in the new Mortal Kombat movie, and it even has Jack Shepard himself, Matthew Fox. Oh, yeah. Before I get into it, hang on. I need to start out um, with this shout out. I need to start off with an apology, you guys. I'm sorry. Okay. I'm sorry because the argument that I'm about to make for this movie, I realize is exactly the same argument you were both making for the upcoming Mortal Kombat film oh. or movie uh, in, in that this, this movie, this movie knows exactly what it is, what it needs to do. And it does some things that are just incredibly visual and, and it's probably the best representation of a live-action anime that I've ever seen. Of course, I'm talking about 2008's Speed Racer. This movie is so good, Kevin. Please, give it another chance. Please. I can't. I, can't. I, I, think, I think you've already hurt your case by saying that it's a good representation of the source material. And, like, yeah. Speed Racer was never my jam. So, like, <laughs> I, I just i have never had a desire to check this one out. I think here's the thing, though. I, I agree with you in terms of if it wasn't your jam. Honestly, I didn't grow up with Speed Racer either. I, I've seen a few of the, the episodes of the original, and then I went back and rewatched a little bit of it after seeing this movie just to kind of get more of a, an understanding of, of what was going on. But I think it's the cast, Kevin. It's the cast that is going to be the, the catalyst by which this movie becomes approachable for people like yourself. Okay. Yeah, the cast yeah. does look good. I'll give it that. Yeah. No, the right? cast looks great. I, I think. I think though, the thing that's really interesting, it's might be the same thing of how I felt with the Dragon Ball movie. They got a lot of things wrong with that movie, but one thing they actually got right was the sort of campy, oddball comedy that they infused in the cartoon. Maybe not so much in the comics, but it was a little bit in the comics, but more so in the cartoons, which is what was my source material. This had that sort of vibe of feeling very centric to its time and the time it was representing and especially yeah. just like that that sort of kitschy sort of pop culture east asian sort of fusion of like comedy fused into it like with animated graphics and stuff like that i don't know i think i don't i i i i'm gonna watch it again because after after you offering it up because i think that this is uh it's interesting this is, a, this is an interesting one to consider as underrated i will say though like eh and again, I have to 
I'll have to re relook at the source material, but I don't really remember even the original Speed Racer being overtly Japanese. Like, yes, the characters were Japanese; they spoke Japanese, but but like, I don't like the whole point of that show is the obsession with race cars and racing, right? And I I just feel like it it I don't know. There's a lot of Western influence in it, and I think it's I think it it, it works for the film. I think there was a review on Rotten Tomatoes where it was described as overloaded with headache-inducing special effects. Speed Racer finds the Wachowskis focused on visual thrills at the expense of a coherent storyline. And listen, like if I don't know, I think what really makes this movie. You know, it, 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 what it gives you is is the experience, not unlike its main character, right? Like, it's very similar to Speed Racer. It's incredibly fast. It's confident. And the whole film has just a heart of gold with, like, unmatched visuals. And I will say this. The visuals in this movie feel like, like it, it almost feels like the Matrix was a warm-up for the Wachowskis. That's how good I'm going to say the visuals in this movie and how different they are in this film. It's just, they're so good. Well, see, because it's funny you say that because, like, I look at the year 2008, and if I'm thinking Wachowskis, I'm thinking Matrix or V for Vendetta, that, like, you right. know, futuristic dystopia, dark action adventure, not this bright, colorful, kitty campy race car movie, you know? But so again, just, that's not what I wanted from them at the time. I don't think right. it's what I want from them in 2021 either, but... I just, it's, honestly, though, it's just, like, the fact that, that people find the storyline to be incoherent just... It just means they've never watched like an anime before because that's what all animes are are like that. They're messy storylines that don't make a ton of sense that are overly complicated. And I just think if you if you haven't already watched Speed Racer and you read the negative reviews, do yourself a favor and go Speed Racer because I'm telling you the, the final like to the point where like this isn't really a spoiler, but in the final scene, there's literally a montage of all of the characters like saying stuff as the characters trying to do like this big Oh, you know, big moment, and and he's going through this like really epic moment at the end of the film, and there's characters like you know, I always knew he could do, it. and then there's the bad guy like, there's no way he'll ever win. Like it's just <laughs> so, it's so well done, and it knows what it wants to be. It, it it reminds me so much now having seen Cobra Kai. I rewatched like the, I rewatched some of the best scenes of it because I didn't have time to watch it all today. But it it just reminds me so much of that. It reminds me of it knowing what it wants, and then seeing Matthew Fox on the screen and seeing some of these actors, you know act the way they're acting it's just so good but anyways it's underrated it's absolutely underrated kevin give it another shot please and uh I'll music see. music composed by michael gianchi so <laughs> yeah yeah dude i'm telling you man it's got well, everything yeah, going for it, it. <laughs> all righty well that was a lot of fun but before we're getting a little long in the tooth here so before like five movies get released and have enough time to become overrated or underrated <laughs> let's uh wrap it up uh, we've had a lot of fun destroying beloved classics and overhyped mediocre duds and have probably hurt the feelings of some along the way. Uh, in fact, we'd love to know, what are some movies you felt are either over or underrated? Uh, or what was a movie that you used to love but hasn't aged well? And if you disagreed or agreed with us, we'd love to hear uh, from you as well. So shoot us an email and let us know. Justin, where can they do that? They can reach us at wearegeekcentric at gmail.com. That's wearegeekcentric at gmail.com oh you know what that is an underrated email address if you ask me (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but whether you agree with us or not we would really uh, we really hope you enjoyed this week's episode if you did please be sure to subscribe to us wherever you like to listen to your podcasts and and as always five stars is very much appreciated I always feel like an Uber driver saying that Um, (laughs) but it's very true 
We are Geekcentric, and you can be too, which means you can check us out on YouTube at youtube.com slash geekcentric. Our latest Kevin Home for the WandaVision finale is starting to gain some traction. So if you haven't already, please check it out uh, and recommend it to anyone that was a fan of the show. Uh, we're also active on all of the other big social medias, including Twitter at GeekcentricYT and on Instagram at WeAreGeekcentric. Check us out, give us a follow, and of course, you can also join in on Nate's ongoing video game adventures on stream at twitch.tv slash NatePlaysGames. Nate, what do you have coming up? Uh, yeah, I've, uh, I'm, I'm still rocking out on, on some Super Mario Sunday every Sunday night. Uh, as I said, we be- I, I beat Cyber Shadow, um, so that game is, is done on stream. I might do a little bit more Hunt Down on stream, so if you guys want to see that wonderful 80s action, you know, uh, nostalgia trip of a game, definitely tune in for some Hunt Down streams. But, uh, but yeah, we've got a lot of fun stuff coming up, including, I, you know what, I might get back into... I might get back into Pokemon trading cards and start opening those on stream. So if you want to be part of the hype that is opening Pokemon cards, you can uh, you can feel free to tune in. Oh, exhilarating. Mm-hmm. I just uh, read about a guy who recently opened a, a 20-plus-year-old pack of Magic cards and found like a card worth $100,000 or something. Insane. It's so, insane. You know, maybe you'll find one worth 50 bucks or something. Who knows? Uh, there we go. <laughs> But uh, finally, also, guys, be sure to come back. Check us out in a few days here on the Geek-Centric Podcast when we will be dropping our first watch club for the premiere of Falcon and Winter Soldier. But until then, Justin, Nate, thank you so much for joining me for today's controversial discussion. Until next time, as we always say... Love ya. Stay home safe, guys. Peace. Peace.